Hillary Clinton recommended that government seize oil company profits. Can government do that? If so, whose profits are next? The Democratic National Committee invited an extremist imam to deliver the invocation at their winter meeting. What did he say that's raising concerns? Should Israel give up land on the Gaza Strip and West Bank? And with all the conflicting news, what's the real story on global warming? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, Tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. In the name of God, the most merciful, the most compassionate, we thank you, God, to bless us among your creation. We thank you, God, well, that's not Jerry Johnson. That is a Muslim imam praying at the Democrat National Committee Winter Retreat. And you will not believe the rest of this prayer. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. That they would have this man praying at the Democratic National Committee Retreat says a whole lot about the Democrats and their commitment to the war or lack of it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Also, Hillary Clinton wanting to seize the profits of oil companies. Is this Soviet-style communism? She wants to deliver Soviet-style health care. We'll talk about that later in the program. And we'll talk about a radical protest on the nation's capital against the war. Anarchy. Well, also, later in the program, the U.N. representative from Israel, former U.N. ambassador from the state of Israel, will be talking about the Palestinian question, the Palestinian problem. And then later on the program, we've got global warming. New York Times, three-year study, sees centuries of rising temperatures. We'll hear from someone who says this is the greatest deception in the history of science. With me in the studio, I've got Dr. Denny Burke. He teaches New Testament and Greek here at Criswell College. Welcome back, Denny. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. All right, Dr. Burke, let's listen to this prayer, folks. We want you to call in, give your comments, give your questions. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. This is the prayer from the Muslim imam at the Democratic National Committee Winter Retreat praying, asking for his God to bless them. In the name of God, the most merciful, the most compassionate, we thank you, God, 
to bless us among your creation. We thank you, God, to make us as a great nation. We thank you, God, to send us your messages through our father, Abraham, and Moses, and Jesus, and Muhammad. Through you, God, we unite. So guide us to the right path. The path of the people you blessed, not the path of the people you doomed. Help us, God, to liberate and fill this earth with justice and peace and love and equality. And help us to stop the war and violence and oppression and occupation. Amen. Amin, or no way. What do you think of this prayer? The number is 800-881-9270. This was not a prayer in a Muslim mosque. This was a prayer for the Democratic National Committee retreat last Friday. They invited this Muslim imam to come in and pray. A lot of questions here, Dr. Burke. He talks about the name of God. He goes from Abraham to Moses to Jesus to Muhammad. He talks about the path of people blessed by God, not doomed. The people doomed or cursed by God. Who are those people? We want to talk about that. He talks about themes of love and justice. Is that really what Islam is all about? He talks about oppression, freedom from oppression. He talks about freedom from occupation. Was this prayer code speech, code language, against what our soldiers are doing, against the effort in Iraq? Was this prayer code speech against the Jewish people and against um, Israel and uh, for the militants in Palestine? We're going to take this apart. But the most important thing, Dr. Burke, this show is about the Christian worldview And the most important issue really is, uh, this is a prayer. Uh, And he says, in the name of God. And I want you to think about that with me for a moment. Folks, we want you to call in. How do you feel about this? Our congressman, uh, these Democrat congressmen, inviting this man in to lead the prayer. By the way, who is this man? We're going to talk about that too in just a minute. What are his links? What are his loyalties? The number is 800-881-9270 if you want to comment. But Dr. Burke, when he says, in the name of God, I want to ask you this question. Uh, Could we just stop the prayer right there and say, look, maybe his God, but not the the God of the Bible. Is the God of Islam, in your view, the God of the Bible? Well, it's interesting because this prayer really brings into sharp relief the differences between Christianity and Islam. And the question is not really, are we referring to the God of the Old Testament? Obviously, we're both referring to the God of the Old Testament. The question is, is the God that you're referring to lead you to faith in Christ? If it does not, then it's a false God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to the uh, Jewish leaders, obviously saying that they were, the, uh, they were Abraham's offspring in John chapter 8. He said, we're of our father Abraham. And Jesus said, uh, you are of your father the devil. If you, if God were your father, you would love me. But your response to me actually says who your father really is. And he says, your father is the devil. So, you know, Islam is, you know, they do refer to Abraham as a prophet, to Moses and to Jesus. Um, but then they don't stop there. They go on to Muhammad. And, of course, Christianity teaches that Jesus plus anything is false. 
And the revelation that Muhammad gave is not the definitive revelation of God. The one that we got from Jesus is, and it's a totally different picture of God. We've got Tina on the line from Plano. Tina, you're on the air. What do you think of this prayer? I think it's a very deceptive prayer, and I think it's an outrage that uh, this man was allowed to lead the prayer in uh, our political caucus as, as he was. And I, I think it's insulting to uh, our, our, our country, my faith as a Christian. He equated Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, with the prophets, and, and I believe that it's very clear in the, the Word of God that Jesus is not on the same level as a prophet. Jesus Christ is God incarnate, and I, I feel like if the American people need to wake up, the uh, Muslim religion is they, they are the ones who are devout are out to bring people to Allah, to bring people to subjection to Allah. And if, if there's, there's a, I think there's a quote in their Quran, if need be, by the sword. So people need to wake up. This is not a, a peaceful religion. They have one object, objective, objective, and that is to bring the entire world under Allah, you know, and, you know, we've, we've got to wake up as a people, and we've got to stop putting our heads in the sand and saying, oh, everybody's just, you know, peaceful, peaceful. No, it's not. Thanks, Tina. That's Thank it. you so much for that comment. I think there are a lot of Americans out there, Dr. Burke, that are really concerned about this. You know, the beginning of the prayer, the name of God, but by the end of the prayer, it was getting political. He said, you know, uh, Allah, stop the oppression. Allah, stop the occupation. How did you read that, Dr. Burke? Do you think he's talking about what we're doing in Iraq? Is he talking about uh, Israel? What's going on there? I thought it was pretty clear that's what he was talking about. I think Both. The, the occupation is, is at the very least probably referring to Israel, and uh, but also our occupation of Iraq. So uh, to me, he was making a political statement that this was happening in a Democrat meeting probably goes hand-in-hand with what their views are of the the American war in Iraq. This um, Imam Husham al-Husseini of the Karbala Islamic Education Center, it's a Shiite mosque in Dearborn, Michigan. He's on the record speaking against Jews, speaking against America in the past. And here the Democrats invite him, the leadership invites him to pray for this meeting. I do not understand it. And this, they wanted a veiled message, you know, against our soldiers, uh, against uh, our Israeli allies. We've got Diane on the line from Dallas. Thank you for calling, Diane. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are this: um, I just I get very confused when I hear the positioning of these prayers and and the Christian response to it. Um, yes, I think it was obvious that he was probably talking about the Iraqi occupation, but I don't think Christianity is about what political party you are affiliated with, that the Democrats invited them. And I think that it confuses the issue of Christianity. The Bible I read is about love, about leading through love. And it sounds like this prejudice and hate that I hear on a lot of these programs. And quite honestly, as much as I hunger for the word, it's sometimes quite, I find it quite embarrassing how Christians who are in a position to lead present it. I think it's presented in a very hateful way. Mm. So what are you talking about specifically as being presented hatefully? Specifically about the program, and you played it, they're not saying Allah do this or Allah do that. I think that that just breeds prejudice and hate. And I think if we are so concerned that Muslims or Islam are, are being aggressive 
about turning anyone around, then we should be more fervent in our faith and in our witness. Mm. Do you, um... But when I listen to these programs, I'm telling you, I, I get a very mixed message. I also get, a, just like that prayer you felt had a veiled message, I sometimes feel like this program has a very veiled message of using Christianity to spread hate and prejudice. Well, Diane, let me unveil then our agenda here on this program. We put this prayer on the air because we think it's it's illustrative of several things. One is the the real difference between New Testament Christianity and the religion of Islam. We talk about that more in just a minute. But it also shows the the leadership of the Democrat Party. The leadership of the Democrat Party is uh, carping, critical on the war effort right now, cynical about the war effort, almost gleeful that there are struggles in Iraq, and almost happy, it seems, that uh, we're not finding our way and uh, taking advantage of that for political purposes and inviting a Muslim imam to come in and pray this kind of a a coded prayer is, um, I, I think, a pathetic move on their part. But let's talk about the two issues, Dr. Burke. Um, love. Our caller, Dan, mentioned love, and the, the Muslim imam mentioned love. I thought that was interesting that he would use that word because Allah in Muslim theology is not a God of love. He is a God of justice. He's a God of power. He is a God of force. But the New Testament doctrine of love For instance, John writes, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself a propitiation for our sins. That kind of self-sacrificing love is not in in Islam. That is a... That's unique to Christianity. Well, yeah, and this is one of the key differences between Islam and Christianity. They don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, number one, or that he was crucified and resurrected. So that's a distinctive of Christianity. It's the heart and soul of our proclamation. The scriptures say that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were shaking our fists in the face of God, not desiring him, God sends his son to die on our behalf and to take his, our punishment upon himself. So the Christian worldview and in, in the view of Jesus couldn't be any more different. All right, later in the program, we're going to talk about this idea of going from Abraham to Moses to Jesus to Muhammad. Can you really do that? Was Muhammad a man of peace? Was he a false prophet? Was he a polygamist? Could he even qualify to be a pastor of a New Testament church? I don't think so. But coming up, the New York Times says global warming is unequivocal. We'll talk to an expert that says, wait a minute. Like any skill, the more information you have and the more great people you can learn from, all the better. The Criswell College in Dallas wants to help you as a church pastor. Tuesday, February 13th, attend a focused day of instruction and preaching sponsored by the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching featuring Dr. Herschel York. Attending will hone your skill and bring you to the next level. Learn from Dr. David Allen, director of the Center of Expository Preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Allen's credits include being a Criswell graduate and founding director of the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching at the Criswell College. Criswell College President Dr. Jerry Johnson will also speak. Registration through February 6th is $35, $45 afterwards, $20 for students. The Criswell College has more information at 800-899-0012, 800-899-0012. Your preaching of the word is a calling from the Lord. Join us February 13th at the Criswell College in Dallas.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Do you believe in global warming? Do you believe, if the earth is warming, that humans are the cause? On the one hand, the New York Times on Saturday had on the cover page, science panel says global warming is unequivocal. On the other hand, Dr. Timothy Ball has just written in the last week, this is the greatest deception in the history of science. We are wasting time, energy, and trillions of dollars while creating unnecessary fear and consternation over an issue with no scientific justification. Who do you believe? And what is your Christian responsibility? With us to talk about it again is our friend and guest, Mark Morano. He's Communications Director for the U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works. Welcome back, Mark, to the program. Hey, thank you for having me on, Jay. appreciate it. All right, Mark. Um, you know, they were shouting loud and clear on Friday. I watched some of the major cable shows. And then, of course, Saturday, the New York Times put, puts this as a headline. Is there anything new here? And tell me about the work of this uh, committee. Well, I, I work for the, first of all, I'm, I'm with the Senate, U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. I work for Senator James Inhofe, Republican from Oklahoma. And what we've done the last week, and I'm sure your listeners have heard this, the U.N. has come out with this IPCC report, which is Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and they've essentially said, it's over. The debate's over. Man is warming the environment, and you have to empower the U.N. The U.N. is the solution to what ails us. We need to be in charge. That was a basic message, that the science is settled. What the media didn't tell you is that even though the U.N. has affiliated with it several thousand scientists, or at least you know, over a thousand, uh, or at least a few hundred that are lead authors, uh, that essentially... None of these authors, none of these scientists were involved in this report that came out. It was actually a summary for policymakers, and it was actually debated in the language of this report. It was debated much the way a Democrat or Republican party platform is debated at wait, the convention. Wait a minute. You're saying this big report that was uh, front-page news on Friday and Saturday was written by policymakers, not scientists. Absolutely. It's by U.N. political delegates and bureaucrats, and it was written with the express political intent of shocking the world and forcing leaders into action. Uh, a man named Pachari, the head of the IPCC, actually stated that was his reason. The AP interviewed delegates who said the purpose of this is to get policymakers moving. The stated purpose of this summary for policymakers was a political agenda. Uh, and we know from 2001, the last UN report, there was 12 scientists, about a dozen scientists that were involved in this report that supposedly spoke for thousands. And essentially, this is a document that is meant to get policymakers moving. It is not a scientific document. The actual scientific report won't be out till May. So first of all, the media has been completely misrepresenting what happened. Second thing you need to know is French President Jacques Chirac came out and said the U.S. had better sign on to the U.N. agenda, which includes Kyoto, or else face EU carbon taxes. So they're already threatening us. The same, same Jacques Chirac, who in 2000 in The Hague, said the Kyoto Protocol, the UN's Kyoto Protocol, represented the first step to authentic global governance. Now, I'm not making these quotes up. These are what the people behind this whole UN agenda. Keep in mind, if we were facing a climate catastrophe, if we had to rely on the UN to solve the problem, we'd all be doomed. That's the, that's the point there. Aside from that, we're not facing a climate catastrophe. The science is so far from settled, that's being generous to the other side. We have, and I have a question for you, Jerry, and your listeners. If the science were so settled, 
why are the global warming proponents trying to silence the state climatologists in Oregon and strip him of his title? Why are they trying to silence the delegate Delaware state climatologist, strip him of his title for expressing skeptical views on global warming? Why are they trying to silence Virginia state climatologist Pat Michaels? Why are they trying to silence all these other state climatologists? Why are, is the Weather Channel come out and tried to have all the TV weathermen who don't buy into the global warming hype decertified? Why, as a major environmental magazine that Al Gore has participated in interviews with, called for Nuremberg-style trials for climate skeptics. If they're so sure that they have the science, why are they going out and trying to defund, decertify, and uh, you know, essentially unemploy all, right, Mark, all the scientists? Let me ask you this question, because a lot of our people just haven't had the time to do the scientific research. Mark, you've been, uh, again, doing lead research for the U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works. This has been your focus. Would you just lay out briefly the case against global warming, the hysteria, the hype, and the case against the fact that, uh, or the accusation that man is causing that. Okay, it's a very simple concept. First of all, we had detailed back to Senator Inhofe on a Senate floor speech, detailed going back to 1895, there have been four swings between science and the media on, glo- on global cooling versus global warming. From 1895 to about 1930, there were many articles and scientists claiming we're worried about a coming ice age. From 1930 to about 1950, they worried about global warming. From 1950 to 1980, they worried about a coming ice age to the point where it was on, it was on Time magazine, Newsweek, Forbes magazine, major scientific publications of the time were arguing that we were at a coming catastrophe, a uh, coming ice age was coming. Then about 1980, they switched back to global warming. All your listeners need to know is this. No is this. The New York Times in April of 2006 had an article that said few scientists agree that any of the recent weather events in the last few decades are attributable to man-made global warming. That means Hurricane Katrina, droughts, floods, heat waves. None of it can be tied to global warming by man. It's all within natural variability. This is important. The New York Times has acknowledged that all the weather is within natural variability. And keep in mind, the Arctic was warmer in the 30s. Greenland was warmer, had less ice than it does currently. There was warmer temperatures during the Middle Ages um, than we have currently. So all the other side has are unproven computer model projections of the future, of the year 2100. And they'll say, well, in 2100, we estimate this will happen. And then they'll say, what do you have? How can you counter that? They'll ask a skeptical scientist. Well, it's impossible to disprove a prediction wrong today of 2150 or 2050 or 2100. And that's the whole crux of this. It's unproven computer models of the future. That's what the entire basis of global warming alarmism is is based on. Because you can't look at anything today and say, aha, that's man-made global warming. Everything's within natural climate variabilities. Tell us this. How can our listeners uh, find this information? Guide us to your website. Well, here's the, this is key. Now, people always talk about government wasting money, taxpayer dollars. We actually, at government expense, taxpayer dollars, uh, published a skeptic's guide to debunking global warming alarmism. And it's actually it's a collection of, of speeches, articles, 68-page, color-glossy book. We have a hard copy for people that come to our D.C. office and for the media or people to go to Senator Inhofe's Oklahoma. But to the rest of the public, we've made it available free as a PDF online at our website. Every home in America particularly with school-aged children, should have this booklet because this is the only defense you're going to have against Al Gore when the movie shows up, against Gore's producer who's writing a children's book for Scholastic Books, against the new UN-published children's book called Tory in the Town on Thin Ice. This is available. This government's guide uh, to debunking global warming alarmism, is a skeptic's guide, is available at epw.senate.gov. That's epw.senate.gov. Click on blogs. And then look in the left side of your screen, and you can download the Skeptic's Guide. 
Uh, and this is, a, again, a book that goes through the media alarmism, the scientific alarmism, the environmental alarmism. And one last note I want to mention here, all the money is on the side of the alarmists. You'll hear people say, oh, the only the skeptics are funded by oil and gas industry. All anyone could come up with was $18 million that ExxonMobil paid to groups that supported you know, skepticism on global warming. The other side has, has had about $30 billion spent, not $18 million, but $30 billion, $3 billion from Richard Branson, Virgin Airlines founder alone. All the money is on the other side. You have the well-heeled environmental groups that come to Washington, the slick lobbyists. They all promote this. Scientists like James Hansen received a quarter million dollars from the Heinz Foundation. Michael Oppenheimer from Princeton was a paid partisan of environmental defense, last known salary around $200,000. All these scientists that you see on TV are all paid for by the environmental extremist organizations. I don't want to say extremists, but environmental alarmist organizations on global warming. And the skeptics are the ones scrounging for money. They're the ones being stripped of titles, being defunded. And somehow the media portrays it as the scientific skeptics are on the payroll of oil and gas. All right, Mark, our time is up, man. we got to go. You're doing good work. EPW.Senate.gov. Mark Morano, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jerry. All right, Dr. Denny Burke, you're here in the studio with me. Dr. Burke teaches Greek and New Testament at Criswell College. Dr. Burke, uh, you followed this somewhat. You uh, wrote a blog about it today. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I, I don't claim to be an expert on global warming or to have mastered all the scientific literature. Um, my interest is in this is how is how are we as evangelical Christians uh, supposed to respond to this, especially when you have some evangelicals like the Evangelical Climate Initiative saying that we should adopt certain policies and make different priorities in what evangelicals care about in the public square. So the Evangelical Climate Initiative, which is endorsed by such luminaries like Rick Warren and others, they're saying that, uh, implying, I think, that this should be uh, raised up in priority, saying that the same love for God and neighbor that compels us to preach salvation through Jesus Christ, protect the unborn, preserve the family, and the sanctity of marriage— take the whole gospel to a hurting world, also compels us to recognize that human-induced climate change, climate change is a serious Christian issue requiring action now. And What's I, wrong with that? There's, I don't have a problem with saying that it's a serious issue and that we have a stewardship over creation. We do. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't even have a problem with saying that the global temperatures are raising. I think that they probably are. But the implication that this somehow rises to the level of, this, of the other issues that they listed in that list uh, concern for the unborn, sanctity Say abortion, of marriage, yeah. Abor- yeah, abortion. I just I don't buy it because it may be true global temperatures are rising, but it's not true the extent to which it's due to humans. Nor is it clear uh, what uh, that we could do something about it to stop it, even if we did mend our ways and reduce fossil fuel emissions and so forth. And the worst case consequences are, you know, what are they saying? Twenty one hundred, uh, two thousand one hundred, almost a hundred years from now. And so we've got millions of babies dying right now, Hmm. not 100 years from now, right right. now. And so I'm concerned about priorities being shifted away from Hmm. some of, you know, these issues like abortion that have been signature issues for evangelicals and shifting them to something else that's so unproven at this point. Focusing on future generations with hysteria when we won't even take care of the current generation of folks that are being killed in the womb. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. When we come back, we're going to pick up on the Middle East. We're going to pick up on the prayer of the Imam. What do you think about his prayer that the right people will be blessed and the wrong people will be doomed? Is he talking about you? We'll be right back.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. My guest is Dr. Dory Gold, former Israeli UN ambassador and New York Times best-selling author. He's written the book, The Fight for Jerusalem. Welcome to the program, Dr. Gold. It's great to be with you. Dr. Gold, uh, everybody's talking about what's happening in the Middle East. I can remember years ago when President Bush I said Jerusalem should never be a divided city. It seems like we've moved a long way from that proclamation today where almost everyone is thinking it's a foregone conclusion that that city will be divided. Your book is The Fight for Jerusalem. Tell us uh, your concerns. Well, let me start with something I think that's related to the concerns of every American today. We have learned something in the Middle East since those uh, negotiations at Camp David with President Clinton in the year 2000. We learned that when Israel withdrew from Lebanon in the year 2000, it didn't lower the rage of radical Islam or it didn't reduce the amount of terror and hostility. In fact, they increased as a result of our withdrawal, particularly in the Lebanese arena. More uh, importantly, when Israel withdrew from Gaza unilaterally in August 2005, and I explain this all in my book, uh, The Fight for Jerusalem, when we pulled out of Gaza, everyone thought we were giving an opportunity for peace. You know, they'd build hotels on the Gaza uh, shoreline. They would uh, take over uh, the hothouses that Israel had built with advanced agriculture. The Palestinians would do well. Well, what happened? We basically um, enforced the feeling and strengthen the feeling of the radical um, radical Islamic groups among the Palestinians, like Hamas, that they had beaten us. And as a result, when elections were held a few months later in January 2006, Hamas won the Palestinian elections. And when they got control of the Gaza-Sinai border, they let al-Qaeda come in. So everyone thought we were advancing stability in the Middle East. In the end, we created an al-Qaeda sanctuary. So my warning, basically, to all Israelis and to Americans who get involved in this business, is that if you think that Israel pulling back in the West Bank and certainly pulling back in Jerusalem is going to stabilize the Middle East, you got it totally in reverse. Do you think this is a difference between the Western mindset and particularly the the mindset of militant uh, Islamofascism? You know, I remember that England thought uh, negotiating with Hitler uh, was the rational thing to do, and that he would stop. He actually uh, reacted in a provocative way, or saw that as a provocative move, I think, and that emboldened Hitler uh, to be more aggressive. Do you think we're making the same mistake dealing with these militant Muslims uh, when we try to negotiate a rational approach? They see it actually as a weakness if we give away land for peace. A hundred percent. That is what is happening. I mean, most recently you had the... uh Iraq study group, which has a lot of smart people on it, but I think they made a big mistake. They said, you want to stabilize the situation in Iraq, you've got to bring stability to the whole Middle East, you've got to push the Israelis and the Palestinians to cut a deal. Well, if we cut a deal and we withdraw, my book shows you that if we withdraw in Jerusalem, we're going to ignite a global jihad that you've never seen before. So I think people don't understand that. They normally think the reason why people are enraged, radical Muslims are enraged, is because of some political grievance. You know, you give them some disputed territory in Kashmir and Chechnya and the Philippines, and everyone will be quiet. But it doesn't work that way. From their standpoint, I think you're exactly right. You give them that territory, they'll feel emboldened. Do you know when al-Qaeda was created? 
It was created in 1989. Why? Because the Soviets had just pulled out of Afghanistan, and Al-Qaeda, the people who formed it, felt they had just beaten a superpower. Victory, a sense of victory created Al-Qaeda. Therefore, if you pull out of territories, you've got to make certain that the other side doesn't interpret it as victory. That's very hard to do. Well, and I think, you know, they saw that in Somalia. They saw it with the coal. They saw it with the First World Trade Center bombing. We're treating them like normal criminals and not terrorists. It emboldened them to attack the United States in a greater way. This is Jerry Johnson Live. My guest is Dr. Dory Gold, former Israeli U.N. ambassador. He's written the book, The Fight for Jerusalem. Let me ask you, Dr. Gold, if the Palestinian problems, so-called, were solved with Israel, do you believe that would stop or diffuse the Islamo-terrorist assault on the West? Uh, not at all, because they basically are out after everybody who they view as an infidel. Mm. And you have now a fundamental conflict brewing in the Middle East, and I describe this in my book, uh, The Fight for Jerusalem. You have a fundamental conflict brewing in the Middle East between Shiites and Sunnis. That's the central axis of conflict in the Middle East today, not the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So all these people who are now focusing, saying, oh, let's solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, get Israel to withdraw, their, their eye is off the ball. They don't see this other conflict brewing, which is far more important. You know, Dr. Gold, I think sometimes the media looks at Israel as the, the whipping boy on this Palestinian problem, these people who are displaced. Could you tell us, we need to be reminded, who are the Palestinians where did they come from, and are there other Arab countries that actually have a responsibility to these people? They're just blaming that on Israel. Well, you know, if you go back to 1948 when Israel was created, Israel was invaded by five Arab countries. And the Arab population that lived there, many of them identified mostly with the other countries. Their Palestinian identity only developed uh, in recent years. They mostly, mostly regard themselves as Arabs or as Sunni Muslims. And... Um, uh, basically, had there not been an invasion of the state of Israel when it was declared, the Palestinian issue would not have emerged in that way. Uh, there's something else going on here. You know, when President Carter presents the Palestinian issue, he presents the Palestinians as the indigenous population of Palestine, of that area. Well, if you read my book, The Fight for Jerusalem, you're going to find, you know when the Jews got a majority in Jerusalem? Not in 67, not in 48. But in 1863, and I have the British document that I got from the British archives to prove it, in other words, the Jews were the indigenous population of Jerusalem, uh, much more so than the Palestinians. Hey, you mentioned President Carter. You know, he um, has touted himself as a born-again evangelical Christian, going back to the time when he campaigned in the 70s for the U.S. presidency. Most evangelical Christians are pro-Israel, but uh, we've been noticing uh, President Carter seems to be siding more with the Palestinians. Do you think he's becoming anti-Semitic? Do you think he is justifying um, terrorism, actually, uh, in support of Palestine? Well, you know, I just look at the, you know, I, I'm reluctant to buy his book because I don't want to I don't want to give him any revenues from, from my purchase. But, you know, just look at the title of the book. You know, he talks about Israel in terms of apartheid, apartheid or peace. You know, we should invite President Carter on an Israeli transport plane coming out of Ethiopia full of black Jews who are coming to Israel at the expense of the Israeli government. I mean, what's he talking about apartheid? He has no idea what he's talking about. He's just using terms to blacken the name of the state of Israel. 
I've got to ask you just an overarching question right now. Uh, just several days ago, the prime ministers of Palestine and Israel came out with a joint statement. They still thought it was possible for the two groups to live in peace. Do you believe that? Well, I think that's possible, but, you know, a lot of work has to be done, and differently from the way it's being suggested. Uh, I, I'm, I meet with Palestinians, and they're saying, you know what, let's stop talking about withdrawals and Palestinian states and when all this is going to happen. Let's, first of all, build a civil society. And Palestinian society is turning into Somalia. And you've got to really talk to people about how to build a strong civil society there before you can talk about you know, building a Palestinian state. We're really putting the cart before the horse when we're stressing more Israeli withdrawals. Plus, as I prove in my book, you withdraw in Jerusalem, you ignite radical Islam. Many in the radical Islamic world, both the Shiites and the Sunnis, see the capture of Jerusalem as a launching point for global jihad. And I think nobody understands that, and that's why I wrote this book, to warn them that the, the way their diplomacy is going is very dangerous. The book, The Fight for Jerusalem, the author, Dr. Dory Gold, former Israeli U.N. ambassador. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Gold. We hope to have you back. It's my pleasure. The news seems to be connected, doesn't it? The war in Iraq, the conflict in Israel, the global Islamic jihad against the West, against Christianity. Here again is that Muslim imam praying at the Democratic National Committee meeting. In the name of God the most merciful, the most compassionate. We thank you, God, to bless us among your creation. We thank you, God, to make us as a great nation. We thank you, God, to send us your messages through our father, Abraham, and Moses, and Jesus, Stop it right there. That's enough of that. He's comparing Abraham, Moses, and Jesus with Muhammad. What do you think of that? Call 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. What do you think of the Democratic National Committee inviting this man to come and pray? And to pray, actually. One scholar has said, Robert Spencer has said, he's actually praying that the party members will be converted to Islam if we really understood this prayer as a Muslim would understand it. He's saying that the God will bless, bless the path of, of uh, the people that are, are chosen or blessed by God, uh, not the path of people you doom. Who is that? Is that Christians? Is that Jewish people? Uh, the infidels, 800-881-9270. Also, when we come back, Hillary Clinton wants to take money, take money from certain companies, use it for something else. Is that socialism? Also, there was a, a riot at the Capitol Hill building. The, uh, the protesters defacing the Capitol grounds is this uh, free speech? Is this just a protest? Or is it anarchy? And did they get special treatment that you and I would not get because they were anti-war protesters? We'll talk about that when we come back. We'll take your calls. 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. Call me. We'll be right back.
Like any skill, the more information you have and the more great people you can learn from, all the better. The Criswell College in Dallas wants to help you as a church pastor. Tuesday, February 13th, attend a focused day of instruction and preaching sponsored by the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching featuring Dr. Herschel York. Attending will hone your skill and bring you to the next level. Learn from Dr. David Allen, director of the Center of Expository Preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Allen's credits include being a Criswell graduate and founding director of the Jerry Vines Institute of Biblical Preaching at the Criswell College. Criswell College President Dr. Jerry Johnson will also speak. Registration through February 6th is $35, $45 afterwards, $20 for students. The Griswold College has more information at 800-899-0012, 800-899-0012. Your preaching of the Word is a calling from the Lord. Join us February 13th at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits, and I want to put them into a strategic energy fund. Hillary Clinton says she wants to take the profits away from the oil company and put them in a strategic energy fund. Folks, that is a, a kind of socialism. It's the kind of a nationalization of things that Steve, that Chavez is doing in uh, Venezuela uh, to take the profits from the oil companies and put them in a fund, not taxing the profits. She said she wants to take the profits. What about taking the profits from her book, It Takes a Village, or Bill Clinton speaking uh, profits when he gets 50000 or or $100,000 for a speech? How would they feel about that? You can't just take profits from companies in America. We'll talk about this perhaps tomorrow or Friday. But is this tending towards socialism? She's also said, I'm for universal health care, a Soviet-style system with Soviet-style delivery. I think there's a trend developing. Well, we've got callers on the line to talk about this Muslim prayer. And um, let's go to Dennis and Forney. Dennis, you're on the air. What do you think about this imam and his prayer? Well, thanks for taking my call. And, uh, you know, just each and every time that I hear the Democrats uh, speak and each and every time that uh, recently they've taken action, it reminds me of something my mom once told me. Keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and be known as one. The Democrats are just uh, just opening their mouths and, and really showing what the Bible calls them fools, O nation of vipers. And I'll hang up and listen. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms, whose God is Jehovah. And I do not believe having an, uh, an imam pray uh, to Allah and uh, invoking the name of Muhammad is going to be a blessing to America. In fact, it just might be a curse. Well, we've got Alita on the line from Plano. Alita, thank you for calling. You're on the air. I totally agree. It is an abomination. And uh, we're going so far away from our uh, Christian roots in, in America. And that uh, the, the principles that this country was founded on are, are being lambasted, especially by the Democrats and, and the media. And it seems as though that uh, Christians are the only ones who can be treated that way. But to choose an, ima- an imam to pray, 
that is a that's a, that's a terrible thing on the floor of the Senate. Is that right? Uh, well, actually, this was to the Democratic National Committee. They were having a, a strategy meeting, so many of the government leaders there, but not on the floor at the Senate. But in any way, I agree, Alita, with your concerns. We've got to go on to the next caller. We're running out of time. We've got Dennis on the line from Arlington. Dennis, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Dr. Johnson, I'm uh, teaching a series on Revelation authored by Dr. David Jeremiah for the past year. And this whole, uh, everything that's happening right now is just another indication of the end times. I truly believe that we are moving at breakneck speed to the end, and and we are seeing the end played out in all of the activities being taken place in this country, and especially at the movement of Islam. Mm. Well, um, thank you for that call, Dennis. I think um, certainly they are seeking a worldwide um, caliphate. Um, that is the plan of the the radical. Islamo-fascist movement, that is their agenda, and it sounds to me like this man uh, was praying in that direction. We've got another caller on the line, Matt from Dallas. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I just, I think it's it's really sad, um, you know, that our nation has come this far, and uh, it really just, to me, shows the state and the heart of, I think, uh, the nation to, to elect um, these people that would allow these things to happen in our government, and... Uh, I just can only pray and ask God to move on our behalf, you know. Thanks so much, Matt, for that concern. We certainly do need to be praying. Well, folks, it's fitting that we're talking about the Democrat National Committee because they are leading Congress right now. They're in the majority. Something else happened at the Capitol, on the Capitol grounds last week. I want you to listen to this report about anti-war protesters. Actually, this could be anarchy, and I think they're getting special treatment. I'm standing here at our nation's capital where this past weekend a few thousand demonstrators gathered and descended on our nation's capital in protest of the surge of additional troops into Iraq by President Bush. During the protest, approximately 300 demonstrators came up here on the pavement on the lower west side. Police permitted protesters to paint anarchist symbols here on the steps and on the pavement saying, our Capitol building, and you can't stop us. U.S. Capitol Chief Police Philip Morse told the Hill newspaper reporter that there were minor instances of spray painting of pavement by a splinter group of anarchists. The graffiti was removed, and people from the office of the architect had to come in yesterday to clean everything up on their day off. No arrests were made in conjunction with this demonstration. I'm Bethany Swenson here at our nation's capital for Washington Watch. No arrest made. The Capitol Hill police backing off, backing away from these protesters spraying anarchist symbols on Capitol grounds. Do you think that those who are opposed to the war are getting special treatment? A Muslim imam praying, the Democrat National Committee. Do you think these anarchist protesters against the war getting special treatment, allowed to go up and deface the Capitol buildings, no arrests made, pretty much given a free ride. I think they are giving them special treatment. What if pro-lifers went up to the Supreme Court building and got spray paint cans and, and uh, uh, spray painted messages about aborted fetuses on the uh, Supreme Court building? Well, it would be a national outrage and they would be arrested and thrown into jail. But we are seeing a kind of um, acquiescence, um, a kind of resigned tolerance to all things 
Muslim and to all things anti-war right now, when in fact we should be supporting our president as commander-in-chief, we should be supporting our troops, and uh, certainly this prayer ought to be troubling us. And let me tell you something, when this imam prayed for justice, I want to ask you if Sharia law uh, is justice. I want to ask you if beheading the infidels, is that justice? He prays for peace when actually Muhammad practiced force using the sword. When he talked about love, well, there's not much love in the religion of Islam. He talked about equality. Do you really believe that Islam is about equality? Let's for say for women. Do women get equal treatment under Islam? No, I think that, far, that prayer was a farce. That prayer was a sham. And certainly as Christians, we would not say, you go from Abraham to Moses to Jesus to Muhammad. Muhammad is a false prophet. We're told clearly in the book of 2 John, if someone does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Muhammad is not a, a prophet to be venerated, but he is a, a false prophet. I was just reading this morning in my own devotionals, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 talks about there's no other God but one, but even if there are so-called gods, Allah is a so-called God, not the God of the Bible, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, and Jesus. He's an idol. For us, there is one God, and His name is not Allah. This is Jerry Johnson Life Tomorrow. Ask a theologian anything. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.